Throw your soul through every open door. Count your blessings to find what you look for. Turn my sorrow into treasured gold. You'll pay me back in kind and reap just what you sow. We could have had it all. You had my heart inside of your hand, but you played it. You could have had it all. And so this picture of Adam and Eve is what came to my mind as I was listening to this song over and over again. As I listened to it at the Grammys, as I listened to it on a CD, as I listened to it viewing a DVD of Adele's concert in England. We could have had it all. It's it's almost like Eve could be saying that to Adam. We could have had it all, but we lost it. We, We were right there. We had it in our hands. We could have had it all, but we played it the wrong way. And it's a story that, that kind of opens the drama of the Bible, opens the drama of redemption. God created something good. He created something incredibly wonderful. Blessing upon blessing was to be ours. And then evil entered the equation. and Everything went so wrong. But we don't understand it. Even to this day, we try to, to look at it in another way. We try to figure out who we are in different ways. This is actually this weekend's Wall Street Journal, the review section, and it says, the trust molecule, why some of us are caring and some of us cruel, some generous and some greedy. Paul J. Zach on the new science of morality and how it could be used to create a more virtuous society. You can still pick this up. It's still on the newsstands right now. Could a single molecule... One chemical substance lie at the very center of our moral lives. Research that I have done over the past decade suggests just that. That for some people who give freely of themselves, there's, there's something happening there. And others are cold-hearted louts. While some people cheat and steal. And others you can trust with your life. Why some husbands are more faithful than others. And why women tend to be nicer and more generous than men. In our blood and in the brain... Oxytocin appears to be the chemical elixir that creates bonds of trust, not just in our intimate relationships, but also in our business dealings, in politics, and in society at large. And so here we are in the 21st century. We're so smart, we're so wise, we've got it figured out. It comes down to a chemical something in our brains. That's what will fix us. That's what will help us to be good that's what will, will make us better people. We, that's the problems inside of ourselves chemically it has nothing to do with anything outside. It has nothing to do with something spiritual. And so the story over and over and over again goes in that direction instead of really answering the questions that are on the table. The questions about where did evil come from and what is it and what are we going to do about it? You asked a lot of questions, and I've got them all down. I think evil is something used to control others. I think somewhere scripture refers to Lucifer being bound in captivity. Some of your questions I'm saving for the last week of this series, week five, when I'm going to put your questions together and answer every single one that is possible to be answered. Uh, next week, we're talking about questions 
about the Bible. I want you to, to ask all your detailed, hardest questions about the Bible, the toughest ones, because next week Adam's doing that service. <laughs> and I'm just going to sit over there and listen. But today we're answering, what is the origin of evil? What is God's purpose in allowing evil? Why doesn't God just vanquish all evil so that we can live happily? Does the existence of evil prove God has limitations? Pollster George Barna was once commissioned to find out what is the one question people would most want to ask God. By an overwhelming majority, over and over and over again, people came back to this one question, why is there so much suffering in the world? What is the origin of evil? What is God's purpose in allowing evil? Why doesn't God just, just do away with evil so that we can live happily? There's a great little book that I would recommend to you, Who Made God? And answers to over 100 other tough questions of faith. What is the origin of evil, the authors write. The original creation was very good. There was no sin, no evil, no pain, and no death. Yet today the world is permeated with sin, evil, pain, and death. What brought these things about? Scripture indicates that the turn downward came the moment Adam and Eve used their God-given free will to choose to disobey God. The story is in Genesis chapter 3. Some people wonder why God couldn't have created humans in such a way that we would never sin, thus avoiding evil altogether. The fact is, such a scenario would mean that we would not be truly human. We would not have the capacity to make choices and to freely love. This scenario would require that God create robots who would act only in programmed ways, like a chatty doll whose string you pull and it says, I love you. Paul Little notes that with such a doll, there would never be any hot words, never any conflict, never anything said or done that would make you sad. But who would want that? There would never be any love either. Love is voluntary. God could have made us like robots, but we would have ceased to be men and women. God apparently thought it worth the risk of creating us as we are. Love cannot be programmed. It must be freely expressed. God wanted Adam and all humanity to show love by freely choosing obedience. This is why God gave Adam and all other humans a free will. A free choice, however, leaves the possibility of a wrong choice. As J.B. Phillips put it, evil is inherent in the risk, in the risky gift of free will. Evil is inherent in the risky gift of free will. What is God's ultimate purpose in allowing evil? The fact that humans use God-given free choice to disobey God did not take God by surprise. C.S. Lewis suggests that God, in his omniscience, saw that from a world of free creatures, even though they fell, he could work out a deeper happiness and a fuller splendor than any world of automation would admit. The theist does not have to claim that our present world is the best of all possible worlds, but it is the best way to the best possible world. A critically important factor involved in the suggestion that this may not be the best possible world, but it is the best way to the best possible world is that God is not yet finished. Too often people fall into the trap of thinking that because God hasn't dealt with evil yet, he is not dealing with it at all. We can summarize the facts this way. If God is all good, he will defeat evil. If God is all-powerful, he can defeat evil. 
evil is not yet defeated. Therefore, God can and will one day defeat evil. And even though God hasn't, hasn't crushed evil at this point, God has taken steps to ensure that evil doesn't run utterly amok. God has given us human governments to withstand lawlessness. God founded the church to be a light in the middle of the darkness. In his word, God has given us a moral standard to guide us and keep us on the right path. He has given us the family unit to bring stability into society. And right there, you can see where Satan does some of his best work. Look at what he does to bring government to its knees. And look, at, look at sometimes how he confounds the, the process and how there's, there's so much red tape and so many voices and so much confusion that sometimes there's an inertia to government and it doesn't move in the direction that it should move. It's, it stymies itself. Look at, look at the church, how sometimes the church relegates itself to the, the lowest rung position. Well, just keep doing what we do, the way we do it. We'll, we'll go according to our tradition and well, we've never done it that way before. And sometimes the church renders itself ineffective in meeting the, the challenges of a society that needs to know the truth, that needs to see something real and relevant and, and positioned to do great things. Look at, the, look at the family and how the family is just punished and pounded upon by society. So many, so many values that we held just 50 years ago. So many of you can remember 50 years ago and what it was like. The choices were, were a lot simpler. And yet today we try to shelter our children from, from things that they shouldn't have to see, even when you just go to the mall. And so you see that there's evil at work all around us. But where does it come from? Does it just come from, from some kind of a, a chemical imbalance? Or is there someone who wants to Bring us down. Let me take you to two passages in the Bible. These two passages are rarely read. You may even be hearing them for the first time this morning. But they're very descriptive of someone who wants to bring you down. Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning with verse 12. You were the perfection of wisdom and beauty. You were in Eden the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, chrysolite, white moonstone, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your great wealth filled you with violence and you sinned. So I banished you from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. You defiled your sanctuaries with your many sins and your dishonest trade. So I brought fire from within you, and it consumed you. I let it burn you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All who knew you are appalled at your fate. You have come to a terrible end, and you are no more. It's a description of Satan. 
He was an angel. He was a, an angel of great splendor. It says, you were the perfection of wisdom and beauty. He had it all, but he wanted something more. He wanted to, to subvert God himself. We go to Isaiah to a passage that's even more descriptive of Satan. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. That O morning star, son of the dawn is from the Hebrew verb meaning I shine. The Latin equivalent is the word Lucifer, which is used in the King James translation, which is why we get that name Lucifer for Satan, because it means the one who shines or the the shining one. Remember Lucent Technologies, Lucent Lucid, it's something that's bright, something that is shining. It all comes from that same concept, that ancient Hebrew verb to mean I shine. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn, Lucifer. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart. Now there's going to be five I will statements, which characterizes the destructive nature of evil. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I will, I will, I will, I will. My will be done, not thy will be done. I will, I will. And that's the character and the personality of Satan, a created being who can only be one place at a time. He is not God. He will never be God. He will ultimately be totally defeated by God. And we're going to be involved in that process, as I'll tell you later from a passage in in Romans. But right now, he is destructive to the nth power of destruction because his will is fierce. His will wants to supplant God as the one who we all know and worship. And while he can't do that, he knows that if he can just deceive us, he can gain our, our worship in subtle ways by telling us lies and getting us to believe in lies. Lies that are just a little off-center. He can garner our worship. He can garner our attention. Verse 15 puts a final capstone on this. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. If you remember in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and Satan was there as the, as the tempter. And Satan was, was promising this and promising that. And Jesus used the word of God to confront him. And how silly it was that, that Satan would promise him you know, all the earth if, if he, Jesus, would just, would just worship Satan. It's like me going to a, a friend of mine who is a car dealer and saying, okay, uh, I just walk in and I'm going to give you any one of these cars that you want. Take any one you want. Go ahead. You can have any one because I say so. It's so silly. It's so, it's so, it's so bizarre. But that's who he is. He is so full of himself. He is so full of ego that he thinks he still has a chance. His biggest operation to date is to get you to believe lies, to get you to be just a little off-center 
from the truth. Let's look at, let's look at the story of evil. I call this the story of evil in John chapter 8. And as I do, as I mentioned last week, sometimes I'll break a passage into different acts, different movements, because I see something happening in this section, and I see something happening over here, and I see a turn. And so I have three different acts in John chapter 8. Act 1, the story of evil. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. You can't do this, Jesus. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Verse 23, but he continued, you are far, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. If I told you that you would die in your sins, if you did not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. Then there's this little argument that starts to happen. Act two. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth always sets you free. The truth is your friend, Henry Cloud says. If you go after the truth, even though at points it can be difficult to chase after the truth, to follow the truth, to bring the truth to light, you will always end up at the right place. You'll find out in a moment where Satan is in this process. Let's go over to Act 3. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Did I ever do anything wrong? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The world wants you to believe that you can just be fixed by a little balance in the chemicals in your brain. And Jesus says, no, it's just, it's about lies. It's about the father of lies. And if you believe the lies over and against the truth, 
You're going to miss everything that I came into the world for. I came into the world for you. I came to have you believe in me, to believe the truth. The truth will set you free. Don't believe the father of lies. There is one whose business and, and final vision that he has for you is destruction. He just has to get you off a little bit, off a little bit from understanding the truth. And he's got you. Let me give you a practical theology of evil. As I just mentioned from John chapter 8, evil is everything that is a lie. It's everything that is a lie relationally. It's everything that's a lie about who you are and who you're, you're, you want to be. Um, you know, sometimes people believe that they're, they're nothing, they're not going to be anything, and they're not going to go anywhere. And it's a lie. It's a lie because God created you for good. God created you to do great things. God created you for adventure. It says in Scripture that he created you to do good works, which he prepared beforehand for you to do. And so sometimes we believe these lies, lies about self-esteem, and they're from the pit of hell, and we've got to stop believing those things. Take responsibility to believe in God's grace and God's truth and God's love and God's redemptive purposes in, in our lives. There, there are lies sometimes in business. You can just do anything you want in business as long as you're making money. We've seen in our own lifetime what a lie that is and how, how it leaves us so impoverished when that's all that business comes down to is, is the bottom line. It's not about a bottom line totally. Sure, you should have you know, multiple, myriad opportunities to make money in business. That's what business is about. But who do you serve as you make money? What do you do with the money that, that comes into your business, into your organization? What's, what's bigger and, and even beyond the business focus that you have? And when you look at it, it's always about people. It's always about helping somebody, reaching somebody, touching somebody's life, helping somebody grow, moving somebody a little bit further down the road. And we've come to that time and place where we're understanding that more and more in business, but we have a, a long way to go. Or in the educational process, if you believe a lie in education, it's like, what do I have to do to get through? What do I have to do just to get through? I often have students ask me, how long should that paper be? And I always look at them and I go, oh, I am so tired, tired of hearing this question. How long does the paper be? And I always have one answer. And I always say, with a question, I say, how long is good? It's got to be like really good. It's got to blow me away. So however long it's got to be to blow me away, then that's how long it's got to be. And they always go, oh, no. Because <laughs> I got them. I got them in the lie. The lie is I'm just going to get through. I just got to write something. Evil is everything that is a lie. Second, evil is everything that is counterfeit. It's everything that tries to, to be something but it's really not. And it's never good when you get counterfeit stuff. It's not good. The other day, I got counterfeit stuff. I went to this new place in Virginia Beach. It's called the Boardwalk. The Boardwalk Fresh, fresh Burgers and Fries. And when I see fresh burgers and fries, I get excited. So here it is, Boardwalk Fresh Not only that, they're giving away free stuff because it's their grand opening. 
So I have great expectations. So I go to this boardwalk place up at Hilltop, and I go in there, and I'm waiting for my friends to come and join me, but I was there a little bit early because I was so excited, and I'm standing at the register, and I'm excited, and they're running late. So I said to the girl at the register, I said, can I just have a hot dog, but I will pay for everything later when my friends get here because I want to pay all at one time. So just give me a hot dog now, sort of like a hot dog appetizer, if you will, and then and I'll just pay for everything later because I wanted to try it out. So she looks at me like I'm from outer space, and she goes, I can't, I can't do that. I said, no, you don't understand. It's just a hot dog, okay? I just want a hot dog. And I'll just have this right here. My friends will come. I'll pay for everything. She says, I have to ask somebody. So she goes to the other guy at the other register. She says, he comes over. He goes, oh, we can't do that. I said, no, you don't understand. It's a hot dog. It's just a hot dog. I want to eat a hot dog while I'm waiting. When my friends come, I'm going to pay for anything. I'm starting to sound like wimpy in the Popeye commercials, <laughs> Popeye cartoons. You know, I'll pay you tomorrow for a burger today. So, you know, it's just, just a hot dog. No, there's like, there's no button for a hot dog appetizer. There's no button for like, I'll pay you later. So they call the manager. Now the manager comes out. Managers are always like smart people. They're, they're the, he owns the place. So this manager comes out and I say, I just want a hot dog. I'm going to pay for everything later. My friends are going to come. You know, I, I'm thinking like it's a business. They're selling food. They want to make money. I'm here. I could be a lifelong customer. All I got to do is give me a hot dog. He looks at me. He goes, we're just not set up for that. Can you even believe it? I'm in a place that says they sell food, but they don't. It's counterfeit. It's counterfeit. It doesn't feel good at all. I can smell food, but I can't find food. I'm promising to pay, but I still can't get anywhere. Let's, let's juxtapose that with a place that opened just, just up the street here. It's called the New York Bagel Bakery. There's a guy named George. So I go in there. There's George. He's the real deal. So I say to George, George, I love that you're here making bagels. He goes, let me, let me tell you something. If you're ever hungry, you just have to come anytime, day or night. Call me. Day or night. The place is closed. I will come. I will make you a sandwich. I will make you. I will make new bagels. The other day, I pulled up. I pulled up to the curb. It's pouring rain. He ran out to my car. I, I pulled the window down like an inch. He's getting soaked wet. I said, just give me this on the bagel. He goes, no problem. He will give you curb service in the pouring rain. He is, he is out of his mind in terms of bagels, but I love George. I love George. I am so committed to George. George and I are gonna share a house in heaven someday. <laughs> because this guy gets it. He just, he just gets it. He is not counterfeit. He is the real deal. He understands that to win customers, you have to give them food, okay? So that's really the bottom line. Evil is everything that is counterfeit. Now, I know with all of you here, I'm going to get a call later today or tomorrow from the boardwalk manager guy, the owner, and, and I'm going to say, I'll come down and talk to you about this. Uh, you slide a burger across the table, and I will forgive you. <laughs> That's how it works. Evil is everything that is a lie. Evil is everything that is counterfeit. Evil is everything that is subterfuge. We haven't had a Spring Branch Word of the Week in a long time. Subterfuge is the Spring Branch Word of the Week. The synonyms for subterfuge are chicanery. I love chicanery. Gamesmanship. Hanky-panky. This is the best one. Skullduggery. Skullduggery is underhanded or unscrupulous behavior. A devious device or trick. Wile. W-I-L-E. Wile. You know, you know where it says that 
that there's while in the Garden of Even, in the Garden of, of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, it says that the serpent was more crafty than anybody else. He was wily. He knew that if he could bring down the man and the woman, that he could almost have it all. But God was already ahead of him. God knew already that he was going to come into the world to save us. And it's already there in Genesis chapter 3 when you look at the scripture. How you know, God curses the serpent and God curses the ground. God doesn't curse the man or the woman because he's coming back for them. It says that Satan's going to bruise him who's coming back on the heel which is not a death blow. Go ahead, hit me on the heel hard as you want. I will not die. But it says he will bruise you on the head. That's how somebody dies. And right there in Genesis 3, it says Satan is going down for what he has done, for what he has tried to do to mar God's creation. Evil is everything that is subterfuge. Evil is everything that twists and distorts God's original intent for people and things. One of the great storybooks of the 20th century was C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, where he writes masterfully of these demons who are trying to bring human beings down, who are trying to twist and distort God's original intent. He writes this. Whenever they are tending to the enemy himself, the enemy in this case is God because they're writing from the position of being demonic. Whenever they are tending to the enemy himself, we are defeated. But there are ways of preventing them from doing so. The simplest is to turn their gaze away from him toward themselves. Keep them watching their own minds and trying to produce feelings there by the action of their own wills. When they meant to ask him for charity, let them instead start trying to manufacture charitable feelings for themselves and not notice that this is what they're doing. When they meant to pray for courage, let them really be trying to feel brave. When they say they are praying for forgiveness, let them be trying to feel forgiven. Teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling. And see, the devil is so crafty, so wily, so underhanded and unscrupulous that he twists and he distorts God's original intent for everything, even for prayer, which is why if you're just a little bit off from the truth, you will never be free. Oh, the church is where I go so I can feel better. The church is there to, to meet my needs. You're just a little bit off from the truth and you will never be free. Oh, God wants to, to bless me all the time and do wonderful things in my life all the time so that I can be everything that I was intended to be. You're just a little bit off from the truth. You'll never be free. Because it says in Scripture, for all discipline for the moment is not joyful but is sorrowful. But in the end, to those who have been trained by it, 
It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The truth sets us free. And then evil is when you are anything, anything less than humble. Remember our shining star, Lucifer? I will, I will, I will, I will. Evil is when you are anything less than humble. If you bring any part of your, yourself and what you've been able to do and how great you are to something, you are just off from the truth because we're all just humble servants. Read Philippians chapter two and see how Christ emptied himself, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself a servant. We had Daryl Strawberry here with his wife this week. On Friday, I took a little bit of a risk. I said, actually I asked him on Thursday, would you be willing to visit with me in the hospital on Friday morning? I'm going into a a spirituality group in a psychiatric hospital. Would you like to come with me? And they didn't have to come with me, but they said, yes, we would, we would really like to do that. And so Daryl Strawberry and his wife, Tracy, and I walked into a group on Friday morning at 10 a.m. with eight people in a recovery program. And they were a little surprised that I brought Daryl Strawberry. And, and we sat down, and the humility that they brought to that moment was such a gift to those people. Just eight people. They loved them with all their hearts. And Daryl said, right there, he said, it was in a group like this that I finally found out who I was. He said, and I found out who I was by reading this book. They didn't find out who he was, hit home runs. They didn't find out who he was receiving all the adulation that he received. But by this book, sitting in a small group, he understood who he was. I never saw humility in such a way from a professional athlete like that up close and personal ever before in my life. Evil is when you are anything less than humble, knowing that God has a right to use your life any way he wants to any day. Romans 16 records a, a, a very important truth. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you, Paul writes. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. And I always read it with that in my mind. God is going to crush Satan. God's going to crush Satan. And for some reason, I, I missed this other part, these three words. I just missed it my whole life. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Under your feet. Paul's writing to the church in Rome in the first century. Under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan, which means as we live for the truth, as we give our lives to the truth, as we stop believing the lies, we are defeating evil hands down every single day. God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In Daryl Strawberry's book, Straw, Finding My Way, 
He writes about God's calling on his life and how he wouldn't listen. Every minister I ran across, different ones from different countries, always pulled me out of a crowd and said, God's called you for a great purpose, and he's going to get all the drugs and alcohol out of your life. Yeah, God came calling, but I pretended I wasn't home when he called. The truth is, the call was so great that I was scared to answer, terrified. I used to argue with God about it. I can't do it, I told him. I'm not qualified to do what you have called me to do. I am a wreck. Writing this book and going back over these years in my mind has not been easy for me. It fills me with shame to remember my addictive behaviors and all my failures as a husband and a father and a man. I'm telling it to all of you in the hope that you won't reach the lows I did before I made things right. I caused a lot of deep harm to others, bad childhood and self-hatred notwithstanding. I was still responsible for what I did. I was faced with the choice to get help and change or go on destroying myself and hurting others. Every bad choice I made had consequences that I've continued to live with to this day. That's what the lies do. Believing in the lies destroys your life. Instead of facing my responsibilities and making the tough decisions, I ran. I ran from my responsibilities. I ran from God. I ran from myself. But one day, after being first-round draft pick, one day after being Rookie of the Year, one day after winning a World Series in 1986 with the New York Mets, one day after signing a $22.5 million contract with the Dodgers in 1991, one day after having what seemed to be it all, Darrell found himself empty and at the end, and he couldn't do it anymore. But you know what happened. He sat in a group one day, found out who he was by reading a book that told him who he was. He stopped believing the lies, and the truth set him free. He went on to three more World Series with the New York Yankees. He went on to retire from Major League Baseball and to start a foundation for autistic children. And I have never met a person with a more laser-focused faith in Christ in my life. Laser-focused. I've met others with a laser focus, but never more than what I saw this past week. And I've never met anybody who went from totally lost in prison in recovery programs, addicted to drugs and alcohol, life blown up. I never saw anyone with more peace and joy in his life than I saw with Daryl Strawberry this past week. We could have had it all, my friends. And here's the truth. God still wants to give it all back to us. But the way he wants to give it back is in setting you free through believing in the truth and not believing in lies. The way he wants to give it back to you so you can have it all is by serving him and knowing him and being the church and making a difference in the world and following the one who gave his life for you. And if you are willing to do that, then I say to you, just as Paul said, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Questions about evil. 
grace and peace through Jesus Christ win it all. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are humbled to think about things today that we don't usually think about. We kind of move through life and, and things happen and life goes on and yet we are called to maintain a laser focus on you and what you're doing in us and through us. Father, help somebody today to know who he is, to know who she is through a focus on Jesus Christ and through a commitment to your word. Father, use us as a church to be a light in the world. Help us to defeat wrong and evil. Help us to bring hope and joy. Father, do your bidding in us and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.